0: Mamma Mia. Here we go again. He's, he's uh, at it again. Piers Brosnan here in the studio with us, insisting on singing in another Mamma Mia film. Yes, it's
1: Piers Brosnan joining you. The, the, oh, what a movie. I'm so excited to talk about Mamma Mia. This is not Piers Brosnan. This is Glenn Falconstein from Falcon Screen with Film Fight Club. And we are joined by freelance writer and critic
2: Vrat Nehru. Hello, also not Piers Brosnan.
0: Although he, he used to have Bond in his Twitter handle, right? <laughs> or email?
2: Can we not talk about that again,
0: please? <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Chris. That is true. And we have Debbie Zhao from the Social Film Network, freelance writer and critic, and also a contributor to the Myth- Melbourne International Film Festival. And filmmaker. And filmmaker. Yeah. She's... Incredibly <laughs> talented in all dimensions, and at the Critics' Cabins this year, Debbie. Great, f- thank you for joining us. <laughs>
3: thank you for having me again. <laughs>
1: and we also have, lastly, Sydney filmmaker and all-round gadabout Chris Evans. Last and definitely least, <laughs> Chris. And we have also joining us Benson Wu, the director of the inaugural Taiwan Film Festival, which kicks off on July 27 in Sydney and runs through to July 29. Benson, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you. <laughs>
0: So, how do you feel about the Taiwanese Film Festival being launched for the first time ever?
4: Uh, I think it's really exciting. Uh, it's been really amazing to have all the, all the community and the, all the art organization here in Sydney that actually really support it uh, with everything I'm doing at the moment. So, it's really, really like couldn't, couldn't do it without everyone's support and the help. So, yeah, it's really exciting. Though. Cool.
0: So, what led about to the creation of this film festival?
4: The creation, I think it started about a month ago um, after I finished my work with Sydney Film Festival. And I was just like, oh, there's so many great Taiwanese films I never get to show in Sydney or in Australia. So I was like, oh, rather than wait for next year to hopefully other film to kind of wait for other film festivals to pick Taiwanese film, I was like, oh, well, I might as well start it myself. So that's kind of my kind of motivation to to start the whole thing by myself. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Cool, cool.
3: Yeah. Um, so that's really, really interesting. So, how has the community responded to it? So, have people really loved um, your creation?
4: Um, hmm. I think it was. Uh, it's really good. I got really positive um, like, feedback from a lot of people. Um, especially, like I got massive um, feedback from Melbourne or people from Brisbane. It was like, oh, I actually come to uh, other area under the hmm. um, So I think there is like a... Chinese community or even like say Asian community that are kind of desperate for more Asian films to be shown on the big screen or even in just like in the festival way of presentation. Yeah.
3: Mm. And how about how how have you gone about choosing the films that have been selected for the festival this time around?
4: Yeah, it, it was hard. This is my first year, and then I, um, it was tough. Mm. <laughs> I think because I have the. the Kind of like guidance um, from Central Festival and also some people from Traditional uh, Festival, so they kind of. Uh, at first, I think about a month ago, they suggested to give me a theme to, to for like for the programming.
2: Right. Yeah, it's really interesting talking about uh, one of the films that piqued my fancy was, the bold, the corrupt, and the beautiful, which sounds like a very yeah. interesting title, and it won yeah. the 2017 Taipei Golden Horse Film Festival for Best Feature yeah. and Leading Actress. So. That's really interesting. And what did you... It looks like a really cool film.
4: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of the... I would say one of the best films from Taiwan in 2017. Even though I think there's some people... certain If you read up the review on the I think some some people will kind of give you a really bad review about this film. But I think it is quite um, unusual to see a film that's really all about female representation and how female empowerment um the film is really really nice uh, and then you can kind of see a lot of um the political culture and that the whole history of Taiwan like back in the seventy or 60 like how it was influenced by the Japanese and like different diverse culture so i think it's a very interesting film and so i was like yeah i got to put it in the program this year <laughs> yeah
2: no, that sounds really fascinating Excellent.
3: I'm curious as well because obviously some very notable directors have come out of Taiwan. Um, So, you know, like especially now in the 2000s and now in the 2010s, like have you noticed a change or shift in um, the style of Taiwanese cinema or the trends that that, that it's going into?
4: Yeah, yeah. For me personally, I found the more directors actually coming out in the last 10 years are actually... Be more uh, supported by their own style and their own um, vision. Like I say for Ho Shao Shen, the director, um, he has been kind of ex-producer for many, many films the last three years rather than making his own film. And then he's always been kind of guidance for those new directors to say, okay, you should just follow your vision or your style, your creativity rather than kind of sell yourself for the mainstream cinematography or um mm market. So yeah, I think I think you can see a lot of films that have been quite arty and more and more kind of speak up their own generation's voice or their view, rather than like making it as a selling point of the film. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: One of the films I saw that Hu has produced is Father to Son, which I thought sounds very interesting. Um, that, yeah, it, oh, one it, of my favorite films. <laughs> right. From the description, it sounds like something that I could see in Hu Xiaoxian's style, but is it actually quite a bit different?
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, they. I think the director Yao Chung's show, um, they, he's been working with Hu Xiaoxian for, like, I think, a lot since uh, when he was still a short film, film filmmaker and then to feature film now. I think this is the third film, in-feature film, working with Hu Xiaoxian. Um, so I think his style does has a lot of influence by, by him, but... Mm. I think at the same time, he's trying to get away with it a little bit, but I think he's not doing it <laughs> too
0: well on that. Right, right.
4: Yeah.
0: I um, and saw at Sydney Film Festival one of the other films in the competition, sorry, in the yeah. selection you're showing, um, The Great yeah. Buddha, which reminds me a lot of what you're saying because that was one of the most stylistically distinctive films I've seen this year, You know, very unusual yeah, and very definitely. inventive. Can you tell yeah. people a bit about that film who might be listening in? Yeah.
4: The Great Buddha Plus is, seriously so good <laughs> uh, it's been playing a lot, of, a lot of film festivals I think it's also playing uh, in August it's Melbourne Film Festival yeah, so yeah. Melbourne International Film Festival and then it's a the film that really really honestly shows the, the the classes um, level of the society that's in Taiwan so you get to see how um, the, the wealthy are living and then how the kind of like lower class are like, dealing with them and how how those people doesn't really see themselves as a the lower class but they're just kind of living happily in a way but in a way not really um, yeah it, it's, a, it's a it's a really I found it's a really honest film that kind of speak up for the kind of Lower class, I don't know if I can say that, but yeah, I think that's what the director's
0: trying to show. Yeah, I I really liked... (laughs) It's like the lower classes as, you know, watching the ordinary lives of of the higher classes as TV. I thought that was really clever and funny social commentary.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, It's a great film. (laughs) um,
1: Moving away from feature films for a moment, I noticed you have Mm. a short film prize in the short film competition, which you're seeing festivals do more and more. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
4: Yeah, I think... It's a funny way for like the film industry in Taiwan. Is show film actually is a big thing uh, in in the Taiwan like, the whole media industry? Um, I found there's so many show film film festival in Taiwan that always in a way actually got more attention in Taiwan locally than the than, like the whole international film festival stuff. And so when I start programming the show film, I look into all of the work. I was like, they're really really amazing. Like even for the Great Buddha Plaza. It was started as a short film as well, and then it got it got made into a feature film. Um, so I was like, yeah, I really want to support those young filmmakers and then have a chance to let their film to be seen um, to the inter- international audience. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, looking at the documentaries in the program, uh, one that really caught yeah. my interest is, is The Black Bear Forest, which yeah. sounds fascinating when you look at it, when it's about an indigenous hunter and a female ecologist going into a national yeah. park. Looking for evidence for black bears. I mean, that sounds something like it's nothing that I've ever thought of or imagined to be in a documentary.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love this documentary so much. I've been telling people this is like the Taiwan's version of the planet Earth. It, it's so well done. Like It really, really captured the the wildlife and then the mountain range of Taiwan and then the scenery, everything. But then it, it's so nicely done with how. Um, documenting the, those two researchers trying to find a black bear and their journey. How one is really uh, academic scientists trying to use like an academic way to find a black bear trace. But the other one is like an Aborigin- Aboriginal Taiwanese and using his own way to find the black bear. So you get to see how they I- interact with each other and then slowly they kind of build this really, really close relationship together. So the, the documentary, the, the, the narrative kind of shifted from really, really wildlife documentary into how turning into like focusing those two characters' relationship. I love it. It's, it's really one of the best documentaries I've ever seen.
2: It's interesting because it seems like yeah. it's an excuse to bring two cultures together that otherwise would not yeah. come together, you know, from a traditional way of living and a modern yeah. way of life.
4: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing.
1: <laughs> Wonderful. So the festival kicks off in a few days. For those who want to go and see the films, where do we go? How do we get tickets? When can we see it?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can still, um, sadly, a lot of them have sold out already. Oh, wow. Um, like Congratulations. The yeah, thanks. The, the attention and the opening film sold out. And like the one we mentioned earlier, the Bold, the craft, the Beautiful sold out. And then the other one is the Story of the Stone, the gay film, which has sold out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're still interested to in see, say, like, um, Black Bear Forest, The Great Brother Flats, or Father Son, you can still go onto our websites, um, www.towanfilmfestival, um, or au. And you can still buy a ticket there. Or you can come to even Cinema, Joe Street, and come to the box office. You can buy it on the day as well, if it's not sold out. Oh,
2: considering so many movies are sold out, maybe you can tell us uh, who our listeners need to murder to get the tickets from.
0: Or which ones you'd recommend.
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> something more PG, Perhaps, you
0: know, yeah. calm. Yes. Wait, what you'd recommend people catch <laughs> of what's available.
4: I... I the one that hasn't sold out, I think I would really recommend the documentary Black Bear Force. is one of the or one of the films you will never regret. You come and watch the film. You'll be like, I'm so glad I can. And then, but also another one is called The Last Painting, uh, which has the Taiwanese transgender called Kiwi Baby uh, feature in this film. And the film actually... <laughs> Talks about the political issue, the sexual identity, the the living lifestyle in Taiwan. It's a very very heavy film. So people who like thriller or kind of serious film, this is definitely the film, and it's so arty as well.
1: <laughs> cool. Well, we're definitely looking forward yeah. to it, Benson. Thank best you. of luck for the opening night, and um, thank so you. Much. And thank you for joining us.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: And thank we'll you so much.
4: yeah, thank good
0: you. luck with the festival.
1: And we'll be right back. Speaking all things momia here we go again. True pilots are gonna find me. And that was, I think, fairly my favourite ABBA song, Super Troop. But we are back on Film B-b-b-b- Fight Club. B-b-b-b-b-b- so, so good. So, we'll be talking Moamia in a moment. We'll also be talking The Equalizer 2, which is in cinemas now, and the James Gunn controversy. The Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 director was recently fired by Disney from Guardians of the Galaxy 3 following the resurfacing of old tweets. We we'll talk about that later in the program and also in our podcast, which you can download everywhere. And we'll just continue on to that. And before we get into Moamia, here we go again. We want to talk film festivals. And we have our Myths Critic campus, personally, who's just returned from another film festival very, very far north. (laughs)
3: yeah so hello I'm Debbie and I was recently um, at the vision splendid Outback film Festival which is held in Winton um, Queensland every year um, Winton's about a 22hour bus ride from Brisbane don't let that put you off you can fly it is expensive but you can fly um, we just took the bus route <laughs> so it ran for about one week up in Winton um, and it's great for their tourism as well um, and a lot of you know nomads and um, local townspeople um, and from neighbouring towns like Longreach and Townsville come down um, to visit the festival. Um, it's created by um, Greg uh, Um And uh, yeah, so it's like full of Australian films. Um, some of the films that were there this year was the opening night film um, in like Flynn, um, which was Absolutely terrible, Um, (laughs) um, but Sweet Country, um, The Butterfly Tree, uh, Strange Colours was there this year.
2: Strange Colours, I've heard so many good things about Strange Colours from everyone who's seen it, and I haven't, so I'm jealous.
0: It was one of the victims of the terrible um, clash programming of Sydney Film Fest this year. But
2: we love you, Sydney Film Fest.
0: We do just just, just
2: program make, better the programming. Yeah. <laughs> to twenty nineteen. Was
1: well, it June fifth? They've already got the scheduling down. Uh,
2: see how MIF does it, and maybe you know copy that.
1: And we will be coming to you at MIF, uh in the coming weeks, where we have many critics talking about many many wonderful films. But That's back to Melbourne International
0: Film Festival for those who don't live, eat and breathe <laughs> films every day. Every day.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I was there, and uh, as a student. So we from UNSW. So we collaborated with Griffith Film School, um, the Hong Kong Academy of Arts, and a Japanese uni as well. And uh, we made films in teams, and we showed them as part of the Qantas Short um, Film Festival, a short film competition. Sorry, um, at the very end of the festival. Awesome.
2: Does it mean you made a film too?
3: Yes, I did make a film.
2: Oh my god! Fantastic.
3: Yeah. So I produced a film as part of the festival. Wonderful. I guess technically.
2: That's like such a low-key you know, brag, the lowest-key <laughs> brag I've seen. You can brag about it properly. It's fine.
1: No, it's fantastic. Well done. I'm looking forward to seeing it.
3: Thank you. I will send it to you.
1: <laughs> Wonderful. And we're going to talk more about but this is actually a good segue into just one thing I want to mention today. Flix.com today, you released their poll of the top 25
0: Today Australian- is yesterday, by the way. <laughs>
1: Today is yesterday. We may or may not be, be recorded. So yesterday... Oops, well done, Glenn. Uh, Flix.com.au released their poll of the top 25 Australian films of the 21st century as polled by um, critics in Australia, myself included. And they have released the list of... What is that look in your face, Right? And yes, and... That was a
2: very... Not Loki Brag. <laughs>
1: and, no, I just, was just Go look at my list. No, and the number one film.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can click go, on <laughs> flicks.com.au. Yes,
1: the five just scroll down to Glenn <laughs> Falcons. So the item number one film, which is actually my number one film, was Man Max Fury Road. Though Sweet Country, which you referred to a moment ago, was number eight. Uh, Animal Kingdom was number two. There was an inter- It's an look, interesting I, list. I
0: think Fury Road is great, um, and I think Sweet Country is great also, but I all think it probably. It's too early to rank a movie in the top 25 Australian films of all time that came out, you know, like six, six months ago. I, I personally think there should be a little bit more time for it to settle before a movie starts to be included in, in these sorts of lists. But also- Sweet Country is, is fantastic, though, and I, I do expect it to see on lists in the future. I, I just take issue with that, with new releases being ranked that highly, personally.
2: But also I feel it's uh, indicative of uh, how little people actually know about the history of Australian cinema that a film that releases about six months ago can make that sort of a list. I think people just need to go out and watch more Australian films.
1: Well, it's just the past 18 years but there's a lot oh, of them that. Okay. a lot. Well, that, that's, it's, it's, that's what I was saying, the 21st century. It's the oh. of the 21st century. Oh, okay. So it's like the earliest one <laughs> is The Dish, which was 2000. And it goes all the way up to Sweet Country. Okay, I mean, um, well. What the... about
2: Red Dog and all the Red Dog sequels? Um, <laughs> so
1: no, <it's>... but, uh, <laughs> but Red Dog, here we go again. <laughs> um, oh, just... oh, God, Red Dog, here we go again. No, we're not talking about... But the proposition was on there, which was good. I did not vote for Red Dog, but I did vote for The Rover, which did not make the top ten, unfortunately. But you must it... be Roving Mad. Oh, it's such a good film our pats. but speaking it's actually actually a moment ago was a decent segue into mamma mia here we go again which is the new film in cinemas it is a 10 is the 10 year sequel yeah. to mamma mia 10 year
0: ten, late 10th ten anniversary yeah 10th anniversary
3: oh, i think s-
1: this was the wonderful film which introduced the world to Amanda Seyfried in 2008 which was the jukebox musical of abba songs based on the stage play which is the eighth longest running musical in the world
2: wait this was the first movie of Amanda Seafried.
0: Uh, it's
1: where I first remember her.
2: Wow. I, oh, it, was, it was a breakout no hit. I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't
0: think it was the first Amanda Seafried film, though. I'm pretty sure I'd heard of her before this movie came out. Well, this was, I think,
1: her first really big. Because
2: the sequel made mean me girls. think about why.
1: Yeah. Oh wow! Was so was oh oh was <laughs> oh no! That was was that her? Yeah. Oh no. Okay. Well, I take that. Get out of the studio. I, t- I take that back. Wow. I mean bet. girls. I have not seen Mean Girls. Okay. Well, Glenn doing well tonight. This is the <laughs> sequel to Mamma Mia. This is Mamma Mia Two. They have Godfather Two, Mamma Mia. So we have gone in ten years into the future with um, all the characters, but then we've also gone back in time to relive the events that were alluded to in the first film with Lily James taking on the Meryl Streep Donner role, Meryl Meryl. Doesn't really do sequels. This um, again. Okay, this was always going to divide audiences. My view, I grew up on was listening it? to ABBA. I, 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 <laughs> I know! I think, I think so. I had a lot of fun with this film, but I am an ABBA fanatic, and I'm someone who doesn't mind toe-tapping and humming like Pierce Brosnan and singing along in the cinemas with everyone else. I remember the stage play. I thoroughly enjoyed it when it came to the lyric. And I, while this was flawed in many respects, so we will get into some detail, I still thoroughly enjoyed this.
2: Yes, Mamma Mia 2, as I like to call it. Why are we here again? I mean, honestly... The first time was great in retrospect, the first time was actually fantastic, yeah, when I look back at it but
0: the the first one was a movie that I and I think a lot of other people thought they were way too cool for mm. um, when it was released, and on rewatching it, I can say it's it's actually really, really fun um I know that It's always bad faith to accuse people who say they really like something of not actually really liking something. But I wonder if the exuberant praise for this new film versus the original being panned is partly a result of people trying to um, atone for getting it wrong the first time around, saying, okay, I I wasn't in, in tune with the sensibilities of what really connects with people and trying to take it back by overpraising this one?
3: Yeah, I feel like there's um there's been a slight trend in the enthusiasm for movie musicals over the last couple of years, especially we've had La La Land and we have The Greatest Showman. And, you know, it's it's not really about the quality anymore. And I think at the time when Mamma Mia was being... um like shown, it was all about, you know, critiquing whether it was a good film or not. Whereas now, like, it is, you know, admittedly, I wasn't a big fan of the sequel, but I can see why people love it. You know, it's fun. It's just a good time. Um, That's what people just want to... That's what people are looking for in the movie, and they embrace it a lot more than I think they used to think they, they did before. Now they're like, you know, we know it's, I mean, quote unquote, trashy. We know that it's, you know, just here for me to have fun, you know? Yeah, Um, but
0: I think just existing to give people a good time can be assessed on whether it succeeds or not. And I feel like the original succeeded in that, you know, goal, and this one didn't.
2: Yeah, you're right, because uh, Chris and I were sufficiently lubricated before the screening, which I did appreciate. I mean, uh, we had free-flowing alcohol, which is fantastic. <laughs> that, that's definitely a statement <laughs> that requires some <laughs> clarification. Context. Yeah, right. Context important. Oh, I, I wish
1: I could have made this. I was in Tel Aviv, but um, this sounds <laughs> anyway, like you had an amazing time. No, 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 I mean,
2: I mean, I'm just saying, I mean... Everyone, you know, did the best they could to prepare us for what's to come, which is it's not a good movie. So we're going to make sure that you're the loosest possible so you can be in the best state to enjoy this and have a sing along, which we did. In the theater, everyone was singing along to the songs, which made me feel like us watching the film were having more fun than the actors on the screen. I think that was my biggest problem. The cast were trying too hard to have fun, and they were actually looking like they just didn't care. They turned up for a paycheck.
0: That was my biggest issue with the film. Yeah, I would say the same thing with different words and say that it actually felt like people (laughs) weren't trying hard enough. Um, You know, I I didn't feel the sincere, outside of a few big show-stopping numbers like the Waterloo one, I didn't feel like a lot of people are sincerely trying really hard to put on a a good show for you, which is the feeling you want to get when you watch a classic musical. I kind of felt like the actors were just kind of shrugging. Um, The choreography was just kind of flat. Um, The way it looks is pretty bland. Yeah, I mean,
3: compared to the first, I mean, the first just like really indulged in the camera work. Yeah. Um, and the choreography, and it was like it was just there for it, but, um, this one I found the staging and the blocking, and just where the cameras sat in a lot of the scenes, just very static and very kind of. Yeah, F- far away from what was happening.
0: I agree um, with that. When Mamma Mia 1 came out, there was a lot of criticism of Felida, Yo- sorry, Felida Lloyd, who was the director of the stage production, making her film debut, about, oh, she doesn't know what to do with the camera in t- because people were assessing it in terms of whether it hits the marks that they expect in how a traditional musical would be shot. And it isn't. But looking at it now, there's a lot of creative and witty camera work in that movie and a lot of really nice, goofy visual touches. The new one is, I think, maybe more conventionally successful in, you know, fully framing people going through, you know, classically choreographed dance sequences. But it's just so much more boring in comparison. I don't think there's any genuinely, you know, original shots in this like there were in the last one. And it's a whole lot less fun. I think visually it doesn't have crazy creative touches like disco lights suddenly popping out of nowhere and a magical dolphin animated fountain in the courtyard <laughs> that was that the was original great the was time. genuinely wacky, and that adds so much more to the sense of fun.
1: And I'd actually go a little further in terms of the visual elements and say that in terms of the set design, it felt like a musical stage. And I don't mind yes. stage productions, and I enjoy stage, and I grew up watching theatre, but in terms of the sets, in the first one, it actually looked like we were on a Greek island. It did not look like the stuff. That's
0: exactly right. No, you. I'm sure there were sets used in the first one for a lot of the places where we're seeing the sets here, like the, the courtyard, but... The original mixed it in with incredible location photography of the islands and the sea, which adds so much more to the sense of over-the-top campy drama that some of the ABBA songs evoke. Mm -hmm. And the issue with how fake this one looks is it doesn't look fake in an attractive way. They're not pushing up the fakiness. It just looks like a cheap TV set. Okay, it seems
1: like I'm going to be the one to defend this film. I disagree that there are actually some incredibly exuberant sequences. I'm going to point out a couple Waterloo, which is oh, yeah, set that, in I a that one. Yes, Waterloo which is, is in, great. incredibly inventively staged. It. And Dante and Dante was well done. Super Trooper was later well done. And, and on this, I agree that there are it is a lack of exuberance in some of the returning cast members, but I think this is due more to not them some of them being tied, but not given enough scope. Certainly the Harry character, Colin Firth, deserved a lot more. He was incredibly short changed to the point that they actually um, introduced some inconsistencies in the story. They belonged there much more. But the saving grace of this film, and it really is the saving grace, is we have to give credit to Lily James. Lily James is a better singer than Meryl Streep. She is absolutely superb. I played earlier, Mama, we played earlier, Mamma Mia, and that Rendition, it starts with just vocals and then it moves up and up and up and is absolutely marvelous. Her version of Andante, Andante actually rivals many of the recordings of ABBA. And I've got to say, ABBA is good because it is meant to be played live. The recordings of ABBA performing the songs live are better than most of the studio versions because they have these unique tempos. And the film captures that in so many respects. And in so many things, knowing you, me knowing you was terrible, Fernando was terrible, but most of them, I feel, particularly Mamma Mia and Andante and Dante made it superb, and does recommend. do recommend the film on its own.
2: Okay, Lily James was fantastic, I do agree with that, but can we talk about her character in the film? Because the sexual politics of this movie it's very confused, and you're going to con- you know, annoy me by saying, why are you talking about sexual politics in a musical, Virat? What the hell are you doing? But this movie had, like, honestly, look at Lily James' character, he was playing a younger version of Meryl Streep's character, uh, she goes around the film, the entire film, trying to tell people that I'm not that kind of girl, except she's this free-spirited, radical hippie who does want to follow her dream. I brought this up in my my original review on The Breakfast. But the thing is, the idea that uh, the writers are confused, which one of them includes, Richard Curtis, is to what kind of audience this movie is going for. I think they I mean, don't
0: want it, to alienate conservative people so that the character has they, to keep saying, I don't usually do this. I'm not this kind of girl. But, like, who cares if she does, it, right? Exactly, because, like, and, if it, you're going to make a movie about a person who doesn't know who the father is, then I feel like they should just embrace the freewheeling sexual, you know, freedom that summer of love thing that this movie seems to be going exactly, for in other ways, but it's contradicting itself. I don't know.
2: On one hand, it's all about radical progressiveness and free-spiritedness and doing what the heart wants. But on the other hand, she graduates from New College, Oxford. So, like, what kind of world-colliding mm-hmm. mess is this, you know? And also, this idea this film is so ashamed of embracing the free-spiritedness of Lily James's character. If she is truly going after her heart and doing what she wants to do, You're, Okay, let, look, let it embrace We're it.
0: giving this movie way too much of a a, uh, close reading because it basically has no story. I think that yes. one of the yes, big the huge I things that stops it. this movie from working or having as much charm as the original is that between the constant flashbacks and flash forwards and the endless songs mm-hmm. there's no time for any kind of plot line to emerge and the plot that we're going through in the flashbacks, is something that was completely covered in the original. So, as Verette I think says, it was very
3: predictable. And no, but there was no but I mean, they of- they
0: discussed it. They yeah. they described all these events, and through actually seeing them in, um, depicted instead of just ha- hearing them told to you, you don't actually gain any new perspective. Um, the characters never are developed in the flashback sequences, mm-hmm. and you don't feel like you get you get to see enough of the characters you like in, in the flash forward scenes. Um, And so, yeah, a storyline just never coheres. So it's basically purely there as a jukebox. There's no characters and no arcs. No themes, it's just using the flimsiest of premises to launch from song to song to song. Whereas the original, I think, actually had some charm. It actually had, it had, it had
3: substance and And the story. Yeah. And I think with this, it doesn't actually understand the way that like the songs are used as well. So in the first one, it'd be like, it'd be like something would happen, you'd have some character development, and then a song would emerge that would inform that. They express
0: themselves through song.
3: Exactly. And I think that's what we need more from, like, what we needed more from this sequel. So, for example, You know, the first song, When I Kissed the Teacher, Lily James, um, who plays the young Meryl Streep, you know, she suddenly, she graduates and she just goes and she just bursts out in her graduation speech, her valedictorian speech, I kissed the teacher for no (laughs) reason at all. Like, it just never, it never informed the narrative in any sort of way. Um, It didn't feel like it led on very well. I think um, what, knowing me, knowing you, after um, Lily James has a relationship with, what's his Jeremy um, Irvine. Oh,
1: we're going to come oh. back to this in just one moment. I just want to say we're going to continue on the podcast. So, Debbie Zhao, um, you'll be joining us on the podcast, but just thank you for joining us on air. We'll be back right. next week talking all things Mission Impossible, and we'll be continuing on the podcast talking James Gunn at Equalizer 2. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us and continuing to chat to us all things more meal.
3: Thank you so much.
1: One, two, three, and welcome to the <laughs> Film Fight Club podcast. Why are we counting in and counting out now? Maybe
0: this will be the new thing we do. <laughs>
1: Very smooth, Glenn.
0: It, it, it just started. The
1: you, you, genesis of this new tradition. Yeah, yeah. We're teaching
2: counting as well as talking about films.
1: Yes. we, we, we 18. Can, <laughs> can we go further than
0: three?
2: I, I, I don't know. I yes. mean, double digits is too hard for me. So, so
0: we, do, is there really anything left to say about Mamma Mia 2? I mean, no. It's got no not, story.
3: Yeah, it's got no story. The, mu- the music doesn't flow.
2: I'm going to spend Honestly, Colin Firth, because I wanted to talk about that when he has little screen time, he's actually the funniest and actually yes. seems oh, like great. the goofiest character. <laughs> the spontaneous person. Yeah, he was funny. He's, he's the goofiest character because he seems like the only one who's embracing the spirit of the film and the universe. Mm-hmm. And everyone else, especially Pierce Brosnan, he's doing his schlick, Oh my god! And Pierce Brosnan, hey, kind of you're, thing. You're talking to Pierce Brosnan right here. <laughs> no, <know>, but like, <laughs> I just wanted to punch him in the face. Wow. Ooh. Okay.
0: All right. I'm going
1: to defend not like
2: physically, but like so you much know, violence kind of from Verad in this episode yeah, wow. <laughs> from murdering <laughs> murdering people who Barrage. bought
0: Taiwanese film festival tickets. <laughs> yeah, please go buy those punching tickets. <laughs> Brosnan you're going to be in murdered by Verad. So I'm going to...
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can't defend myself today.
1: (laughs) Well, I will defend this film on three points that have been raised. Number one, Piers Brosnan. Piers Brosnan singing S.O.S. in the original has been so lampooned, but you know what? Here's all of us. Here's me sitting in the Mamma Theatre singing along, and I am so glad you got to revisit it in this. I think it was quite elegant, I've got to say.
2: If I may say so, Glenn, you have a better voice than Piers Brosnan singing...
0: Oh, no.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> no.
2: Wow. My I'll, loyalties I'll, I'll, are not with
0: my <laughs> fil- compatriots at I, Film Five. I was
1: about to be like, that's so sweet. And I just hear, oh, no. No, but Chris
0: yeah, <laughs> no, wow. Yeah, well,
2: no, but we've
0: sung songs together and I can but, like, stomach that. We're all pretty bad. And Pierce Brosnan is also bad, but not that bad.
2: No, Pierce Brosnan <laughs> right? just sounds like, you know. Okay, he's just—he's uh, bad by the standards of
0: people who sing in Hollywood musicals. He's no. not bad like bad characters. Okay, he's
2: not like Russell Crowe in Les Miserables. Yeah, oh, Russell no. Crowe was, was way worse. Yeah, that was just like, I don't know, it was Squeaking Toad got mixed with a haunting gorilla or something, you know, so that was just, I don't know. Tell me
1: what and why and where. Let him answer all these questions. Let him answer to Javert. It was so bad.
2: Wow. You mean was... Javier.
1: Right? It, ja- it, the... no, no, it was Javert. I'm going
2: yeah. by Twitter.
1: Uh, <laughs> saw, I saw it on the West, where I also saw Mama Mia. And this is the thing. Another point I will defend the film on, the, the song transitions, they were awkward, but they were supposed to be awkward. They were self-conscious. In the theater, I remember we wanted to take a chance on me and Chiquita, and they're supposed to be like that. And I don't mind that they don't entirely, some of the songs are gimme, 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 in the original. Sorry, money, money, money in the original I think didn't quite fit. I think some of them One of Us fit very well. A I few did of the like others, Angel
2: Eyes in this one and the Christine yes. Baranski chemistry and the very sarcastic sardonic sort of, you know... She was funny. She was How
1: funny. good is she? She had the best lines in she this movie. She was hilarious
0: yeah. in the first one as well. Look, the performers make such a difference in this. I agree that Colin Firth was really good and there wasn't enough of him. And I also agree that Lily James was, fan tra- was fantastic. Um, she ha- she seems like a, a real movie star here, right? Like she, Lily James, sung so well. Um, she had so much charisma and warmth. And she's really, really attractive, which ha- really has no bearing on the, f- on, <laughs> Sorry. On, it's not an, a, a great critical Bureau, comment, but yeah. it's, the tr- it's the truth, right? Um, she, according she, to me. She's, she, she makes the film very fun. <laughs>
3: <laughs> She's yeah. really good. That's no, no, no. Let's see more the PG rating.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. She's no, i she, 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 she is, she is stunning. She's stunning. She absolutely she is. Only yeah. word we'll
2: ever say. Yeah. She no, She is
0: Fun. a great performer. It's not. A,
1: no, it's true. She's uh, and... Everyone's looking at me like I've said the dirtiest thing ever when I said that she's
0: attractive after listing all the things about how she's, no, she's... a really good performer with a lot of charisma. She right. owns the camera in this. F for fun, you know?
3: And you know what? The best part... Mm, yes, yes. Well, the best part of this film, and I can see why, and I actually heard a lot of my friends who said this about the film after, they really loved like the mother-daughter relationship and the parallels between um, Meryl Streep, like Donna, and... Her daughter, so matt uh, you know, as she's like at the very end when she's coming through to the church, and I don't want to spoil the film, but there, there are parallels okay. Spoiler between- of the
0: film: Meryl Streep's in the movie. She, but this isn't yes. really a, a spoiler because she's her name's listed on the on the. Po- she's first of all, she's physically on the poster, and she's listed and as in the cast list. Yes. yes.
2: Okay. On that point, mm. I felt. So bloody cheated about Meryl Streep being in the movie for how long she's in the movie. She could barely be not in this movie and wouldn't have made any darn difference. Oh, my God. That is such a blatant sucker punch to my balls. Not even in a good way. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. And, uh, what, is about, what is happening today? And speaking of – I'm going to transition out of so this. Speaking of very
1: short cameos and bad cameos in this instance, share. <laughs> What was she doing here? She was not good in this. Yikes. I mean, I appreciate you know, that there's an audience for share. There was a lady at the back of my center who was saying, "Is that share? Is that share?" I'm not a share fan, so it didn't do it for me. But I appreciate that a core part of the audience for the film. Well. Like, Rewatching the first one
0: has reminded me that Meryl Streep's mum, first of all, was said that <laughs> she, um, she's <laughs> Meryl Streep's <laughs> donor is basically de- was dead to her mum the moment that she was pregnant and never saw her again. And furthermore, after that. It's, she also says that her mom is dead. Yes. But, so but the, don't don't tell me that her mom is share some some like cool progressive pop star woman. No, she said she was dead to her, but she was some conservative
2: in Alabama, right? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> like that's my my, my favorite <laughs> corny line from this movie was when uh, Amanda Seyfried's character has his realization that oh my god she could go through my mother could go through all the troubles and everything because she had me. Oh, that was
0: the dumbest line <laughs> and ever. I'm like,
2: and I was like no, no, what at it like was it is sweet. No, no, oh, but it was I like I actually thought it was quite was, sweet as well. I, I Thank you. I like it, clear. Debbie. I was know. thinking was biologically uh, and I I'm like, problem. you know, yeah, a little bit. Look, Childbearing i don't, and like you know, you're a hippie no, but, with no kind of barter system or like. But she says my mom had no one. She says like she says my mom had no
0: one, you know, um I have all these these friends. I've got my three dads and my partner and all my friends and such to help me through this, but my mom had no one to help her, you know, through pregnancy it's like no but she had you and that oh oh then amanda free Joseph well i'm even more lucky then because i've got all these people and my unborn child to help me but like, i thought that was just, lovely it, I, I don't know that was lovely too i, I thought, thought like the
3: parallels between I the thought, daughter and the mother was so lovely look, like
0: i actually like the parallel in its combination at the end that actually got to me that was actually lovely and why
3: did it why was it so emotionally powerful because there was
0: build up yeah, but not in yeah. that really dumb line that I laughed at when <laughs> yes, they said it. <laughs> and the other reason I would say is because Meryl Streep is in it, who yeah. is again has Just
3: automatically lights up a room.
0: Yeah, and automatically better. Movie. She has learned to sing a lot better
1: following um what was the film the she woods. made? Into the woods. Into there the an, woods. It was no, it was so good. Into the woods, there was there was another, <laughs> another musical she made a Florence Foster Jenkins. Oh yeah. Yeah. So and but,
3: but her character couldn't,
2: couldn't sing. sing in that movie. Yeah, true, anyway. She
1: learned to sing as part of that role they did do training oh. for it yeah but not not a lot obviously into the woods is the the,
2: yeah. the other starring role the other kind of starring member of this cast in mamma mia 2 was the horse Let's talk about the horse because it made a very important story. Nothing in the
0: story is important in this movie. The entire
2: story wait, wait, is negligible. Wait, wait. They try. They try to explain a plot point reason badly. Reason at the end. She gets the hotel is because she saved the horse, and I'm just like, <laughs> which belonged to this you know restaurant owner who didn't say, "You get to have the hotel because you saved my horse." And I'm like. Quit horsing around. Just hoof it was, away. It
1: was. It was. I, I didn't mind that. It was lovely. the whole story was in English. They trying to explain massive inconsistencies in bad throwaways towards the end of the film when uh, they do a post credit sequence. But a couple of points I will defend this on. In terms of the mother being dead, yes, I did rewatch the original recently. Yes, that is in there. Not um, only dead, but also definitely yeah, not as yeah, described yeah, the character that yes, she's revealed true, to be in this true. movie. On that, okay. Um, in <laughs> Frasier, they in Cheers. In the episode of Cheers, Frasier says that Martin is dead, and then that we would not have had 11 years of Wonderful Night eight years, so six years of Wonderful Frasier, the other five seasons were terrible, if they had allowed this fiction to just go on. It was fine. It was good for the purposes of the story. I didn't mind it. And also, just on um, some of the songs, was it Chris? Yeah. What? Oh, so we, <laughs> what we, I, thought, I thought you were going to say something. No, there. no, I was, I was just listening. Okay, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Look, this is I would say about this film. This and Christine Bransky, just who is amazing. This is a film for people who not only love the original Christine Bransky, who have great. absolutely no shame in getting up in the theater and absolutely belting it out. And I think even if you don't necessarily are a Bing Abba fan, you can come to this film and you can learn some other songs. I learned a couple too and thoroughly enjoy it.
2: One last quick nitpicky thing. Uh, the best throwaway line for me was though this political commentary that popped up randomly in this movie when this group of oh yeah they yeah, felt yeah. weird Talk about me you know, setting
0: a, a movie for <laughs> about rich rich Anglo people having the time of their lives in yeah. in Greece now now that since this movie came out it's had its economic crash <laughs> so, since the oh, original
2: to be, oh my god we need to be with the times we're 10 years later and the Greece is not rich anymore people just don't come here to have their time of their lives because nobody can survive Look this is this is so a film okay okay this is random a random well, drop
0: of as if this movie was ever set in the real Greece alright all right, look you know. th- this is a film it's <laughs> set in fantasy land speaking of cultural issues where they about a Swedish
1: band where they referred to Stockholm, Sweden, if so we didn't know where Stockholm was. But more importantly, there's a scene in Paris where a bunch of British people are singing about Waterloo. So, you know, yeah. culturally, this this film isn't going <laughs> for the super, super sensitive points. But on the political issue that Virat raised earlier, this entire film, and it's consistent with the Pierce Brosnan younger character, is about people who may be in certain good, at least the to be good places in life, and be thrown into a deep end. And I feel as much as they did set in Oxford, really, really push the point. of the maybe. Been a little
0: nose in that respect.
1: <laughs> I think it was fine because that was the they're going for, and they to delivered fair, that well, at least
0: the flashback scenes. It's only as absurd as Meryl Streep on a cruise liner singing "Money, Money, Money" in the original. So
2: I missed that. Yeah, I, I missed that. It's just on,
0: similarly on the nose to that. I would say,
2: in, in terms of the good performance, uh, the compliment to compliment Lily James, uh, going back to Waterloo. The younger version of Colin Firth's character, who's played by Hugh Skinner, oh, no. he is fantastic in this movie. Waterloo he... could not escape if I wanted to, <laughs> but he's like, so good. He was so goofy the, and the, funny, and like look, for the limited role he got, I really enjoyed him. I wish I could, you know, explore more his filmography.
0: Ol Parker, who wrote and directed this, is lucky to have cast Lily James, you know, because without a performer of such magnet of such magnetism, almost said of such magnitude. Um, without a, <laughs> I don't know, without a performer of such magnetism, a lot of the flashback scenes would have totally fallen apart. I, I agree that the the young Colin Firth guy is good, but the rest of them were just totally boring, especially in comparison to how great, you know, <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård and, um... Pierce, even Pierce Brosnan. You know, yes, good old, good old
2: Pierce. Th- 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 <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Now, Chris, I-, I love the hints you're dropping. First, you call Lily James attractive, and now you call her magnetism. So, you know, I, I see what you're doing there attractive, the magnetism. No, I'm, no, no, she's I'm she's in this gorgeous, point. Dude. She is gorgeous, but, she's, but she's in this starting, point, but. I'm
0: just talking about her charisma, okay?
2: <laughs> I'm appreciating <laughs> the synonyms of. Magnetism and attractiveness, and I, like I didn't take oh, that from that oh, at all. Okay. That kind of no, play no, that no you neither were, right, David, No, implicitly no. incorporating. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So that was weird. Mo- weird <laughs> polar opposites on that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that was *Mamma Mia 2*, starring the very attractive Lily James, which is yeah. in cinemas <laughs> now. And um, we will be talking in a moment about James Gunn and also The Equalizer 2. But first, just a couple of things that are happening around town. Uh, we interviewed last year the director of the smartphone flickless. There's two directors, Ali Kroon and Angela Blake. They had their entries for the Short Film Festival closing... In 16 days, um, it's a, I've been each year now. It's in, going into the fourth year. It's a really fun festival, and they've moved now from the Chevelle to the Opera House. So it's a really fantastic venue, and they've done really, really well as a festival. So please do get your entries in. Um, the other thing is just between us, a film. Not just between us. It's a what film is, called what is it? Oh God, no. just <laughs> for you guys. Just for all of us. Just between us. It's a film called Just Between Us. It's an Aussie road flick which has its Sydney premiere tomorrow night at Dendy Newtown, and then it's going on of all things a road trip around the place. It's about a you know, a couple of young filmmakers, so something to check out if you're going to be in and out of cinemas, but that's just between us, just between us. Um, the next, Yeah, Glenn, the next thing... I just got the thumbs up from Debbie there. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of. Well. You're doing very well. <laughs> yeah. um, the next thing we're talking about is, do we want to talk James Gunn? Yeah. I uh, We want to talk James Gunn. We're changing tone just a little bit here. We, each, we can each talk a little bit about what's going on here. So essentially, a couple of days, James Gunn is the director
0: of Guardians of the Galaxy 1 Was. and 2. Was? No, is it, it, and is? will always be Maybe? the director of Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 <laughs> and Tromeo the- and Juliet. Oh, oh no, he did that, didn't he? Maybe yeah, he and Super. And I he liked
1: the- Super was so good. Yeah,
0: and he wrote the script for Slither. I don't think he directed it. Um, Uh, No,
1: I I don't think so either, but he has been taken off the Guardians of the Galaxy 3. He's been fired by Disney because a number of tweets he made a number of years ago, which he has since apologized for following this controversy, has resurfaced. The tweets are um, some pretty out-there jokes about some pretty serious issues, including pedophilia. Yeah,
0: we can't say them on the radio, but but basically there are lots of punchlines about raping kids.
1: Yep. So there's a number of views on this issue.
2: Content warning about sexual assault.
1: A number of views on this issue that have come up in the past few days. One is that they were right to fire him. Another, a number of people expressed to me is that Disney knew and should have done fired him ages ago before they made money off him. Others have said that Disney have overreacted and or have should have accepted his apology. I take a slightly, slightly different view on this personally. My personal view is that Disney is an organization that is founded by, of all people, Walt Disney, who, if you look it up, has an incredibly awful and sort of history himself. I've watched Disney films my whole life. I will continue to watch Disney films and enjoy Disney series, whatever they may be. Um, I think Disney as an organization has asked audiences over decades to accept that they, as a company, have moved on or have changed. I certainly have accepted this as of many others, and I do not believe this is a courtesy that they extended to James Gunn. We're going to talk about this more generally, but there's one other point I really quickly want to make. Um, what has been also reported as part of this is that a particular individual, group of individuals were involved in these tweets servicing. I think many outlets have reported very well, but not giving these individuals um, undue publicity. Uh, oh,
0: yeah. So. Well, no, I reckon, I reckon in this context we can name and shame him. This guy is responsible for perpetuating the Pizzagate conspiracy theory. The moral crusader stance that he's taking is utterly absurd. Pizzagate, for people who aren't aware, is about. Um, well, you're looking at me <laughs> like. Oh god, no! I'm just, I'm just laughing. Pizzagate there's a controversy about
1: a apparently a pizzeria very close to where I used to live to in to in DC, which were running what the Hillary Clinton campaign or something, something absurd. They were running.
0: they, they were saying that they, that people involved the pizza shop was used as a child sex trafficking ring by Democrat. Sorry, I'm laughing because it's so absurd. By Democratic Party officials. It was a blatant fiction I mean, that this guy it's not pushed. any
2: more absurd than saying the people who were caught up uh, in the shootings are child actors, so... I mean, Yeah,
0: it's, it's a ridiculous conspiracy any theory. Any far-right conspiracy um, is ridiculous at this point. Which has led to the response that the attempts to discredit James Gunn are more about silencing a very prominent um anti-Trump voice on Twitter than they are about Cernovich taking a genuine moral stand. And some people have raised the issue that the right is now weaponizing the left's outrage culture. Um I think it's it's a bit more nuanced um because I think just because the issue has been brought up by Mike Cernovich doesn't mean that James Gunn's comments are okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd li- I guess I'd like to hear what the rest of the panel has to say um, about it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with Chris, which happens doesn't happen that often. But I'm glad that it's I it's happening. When, when, increasingly we do... often. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to maintain a contrarian stance, Chris. Thank you. Uh, but uh, the thing is, uh, what Chris pointed out, and I and I do agree with that, and that's a very salient point. Uh, the idea of nuance is getting lost in the Twitter kind of tw- 20 now 2040 20, characters kind of culture, uh, which used to be 140 characters at one point, but. I think every everything has to be digestibly broken down into a soundbite. And, and Chris was right in mentioning this idea that I'm very uncomfortable to the fact that, yes, James Gunn was wrong in whatever he tweeted back then, and he's taken responsibility for that, but that doesn't absorb him from his actions back then. But at the same time, that doesn't make this kind of outrage culture, especially this kind of vindictive culture that sprung up on Twitter around people trying to... Settle personal vendettas by, you know, going through people's personal histories and using that against other people to then out them as kind of, you know, a bad people. So I think people are using social media as weapons to settle their personal scores and personal agendas, and that's very troubling. And both can be right at the same time. James Gunn was not right to say what he said at the time, but that doesn't mean that how he was outed was also something which is beyond you know, critique. Mm, I didn't actually
3: sense. know about the context around why he was outed. He, so that actually gives a little bit yeah, more.
0: Yeah. He um, is one, probably the most anti-Trump celebrity. I he, see. Like every single day, he's just hammering Twitter with jokes about Trump and um, stuff to oppose, you know, Messages against him.
1: Certainly, his last tweet before this controversy broke was very much along those lines. Yeah, many others.
0: Yeah,
3: hmm, I see. Well, I guess that gives a little bit more context about it. I mean, I guess it's it's conflicting because about the the, the discussion point that Glenn you raised about Disney. Why not? Why didn't he, they fire him earlier if they knew about it?
0: They, I, and that's the thing. Right. I reckon Disney definitely knew. Look, the guy used to work for Troma who are known for boundary pushing. Poor taste, humor. Um, that's that's their entire identity. Um, so Disney definitely knew that this kind of thing is associated with James Gunn. Um, I personally like. I think the jokes uh, are bad. Right, I, I under, I think the issue is, um, Dis- this is now in the media, and Disney doesn't want to be associated with the idea of pedophilia ever.
1: And they also had a similar reaction to when Roseanne tweeted, which is a very different situation oh, because that was contemporaneous. It's, but that's, um, so
0: I think that's, I think that's different for a number of reasons. Um, one is that yes, that's contemporaneous. Two is that Roseanne, I think, failed to adequately. Apologize or own up to it. Whereas I think James Gunn apologized for this sort of thing years ago and by the accounts of all the people who know him actually has changed, doesn't make humor along these lines today. um Some people have taken issue with the idea that we should believe in people's apologies or their requests for forgiveness. And people have brought up the idea of okay, this is like a 40 year old man. Um, we're not talking about a teenager, should we actually believe that he's changed?
3: Mm, yeah, I guess I was about to bring up that conflict because, yeah, on one side it's, you know, it's, yes yeah, it's a resurface of tweets, which happened quite a while ago. But, you know, he was 40 years old. He was obviously mature. He obviously knows what he's doing. Um, but, you know, then there's the, the other side of the argument where it's saying, should we let, like, should we give people the opportunity to change, you know? Um, yes,
2: the the other thing that kind of I'm thinking about is, what is the current climate that we are a part of? Because these tweets have been around, like you said, these the tweets have resurfaced, and that's a very important point. So the idea that these tweets are now more loaded in the current climate yeah. than they were before, I think so that's the fact that they've true. always existed, people haven't had a problem back then when they were originally posted as much as people have an issue today about yeah, these things. And so this it's is the current political climate. Disney should
0: have stood by their employee because. Um, as as I've said before, they definitely knew this. Um, they knew about this stuff. I think the bigger issue here is that for Disney is that they have a massive merger going ahead with Fox at the end of the week. So they're trying to scr- they tried to scrub away any bad publicity that could possibly come up. And I think they jumped the gun.
2: But also they're merging with Fox of all people, and and Fox is notorious for its umbrella of. Whatever, controversial. Fox shareholders
0: are voting on it and foc- and the value of Disney is their family-friendly image and I think that's what Disney's trying to maintain. Um, the In terms of the issues we were talking about before, about whether people can change or be forgiven, I the if we're, t- we're talking about something like Kevin Spacey, I think something like that is just not forgivable and uh, I don't think um, that... You can buy into people's you know statement that they've changed, especially if they only apologize if they' they're caught out in the case of what James Gunn did, I think it's important to remember that regardless of what people like Mike Cernovich would try to imply James Gunn is not actually a pedophile. these were jokes, and I understand the nuance that jokes can normalize negative behaviors or have a um play a role in. I guess, um, trivializing the issue for people um, on top of the pain that they can cause to victims of abuse. But it's fairly easy um, for me to, like, of all the things you're asking me to believe that a person's changed with regard to, making jokes would be one of the easiest You know, like it's easy for me to understand, sorry, to believe that somebody goes through a shift in understanding where they realize that certain types of humor that they went into in the past because they viewed the top priority as being shocking people maybe aren't such a good idea, especially when you move from the context of being somebody who works for trauma to being someone who's a extremely active left wing, you know, activist. Furthermore, um, James Gunn has actually addressed this stuff in the past There's an interview from 2014 where he expresses regret about the person that he was on Twitter and says that he... And this is not when being prompted for an apology. Um, This was just in in the context when talking about how he's changed as a person. He said, I was always a really nasty guy on Twitter trying to be edgy and um, he was worried he like that's such a big part of my identity. I'm not going to be able to do that anymore when Disney... Um, hired him to work on Guardians of the Galaxy. But then he, he later on came to realize that, that it was a good thing not to do that and that all he was ever really doing was doing something he'd done through his whole life, which was pushing people away. Um, mm.
3: But it does blur the line, like, as well, because it's like, yes, they joke, you know, but does that also... Tell us who you were at that point, or who mm. you are at this point. You know, but like it's not just it's not just a tweet. It's also reflective of his uh, yeah, values. Right, my,
0: I I agree with that. the The point I've been trying to make through all of this isn't these uh, jokes and who cares. Like I genuinely think the jokes are bad, and I think they are something worthy of apologizing for. But I question the value of going after somebody who claims that they changed years ago. Um, who brought, owned this and brought it up without being prompted to and spoke about regretting it and now apologizes again, not just because he's been caught, but in in keeping with his apologies over the years and now he catches the fall for it. Do, it's like, do we believe, that? like what do we need to take to believe that people actually can change? What does it need to believe, you know, that somebody can be forgiven? At what point is it, you know... It, when did it stop being so bad to give people the benefit of the doubt on this? Because James Gunn's response, to me, doesn't just seem like a PR-crafted whatever apology like Roseanne gave.
1: And just to note, there are any number of actors who and people in Hollywood who have said or done outrageous things who have since either been forgiven or not called up on it and still make studios, a like James Gunn, a ridiculous amount of money.
2: One other thing that Chris brought up, and I've been thinking about it and I have incredible sort of issue with it is actually more concerning. And this is the idea of how uh, the politicized environment, especially in social media, how the right has co-opted the weapons of the left and used it against itself, Mm. especially identity politics and especially this kind of umbrella embracing and the idea of free speech and how using that against the left, its own kind of ideology, has become, you know, quite, I think, toxic in that sense. Like, you know, especially this rhetoric around fascism and anti-fascists, it, it's its all, I think, in a way, I admire the doggedness of the right in somehow twisting ideologies I don't. of... No, no I, I admire in the sense that how you have to be incredibly ruthless and, in a way, efficient to do that by simplifying nuance to that extent that it becomes absurdity ad nauseum. Right, that it actually loses the essence of the main thing, and it becomes something that can be weaponized against itself. It's scary. To it's, go, it's truly scary.
0: To go further with the hypocrisy of um, Disney in terms of and Hollywood in general, Disney uh, had brought to their attention the ongoing, pretty much for the entirety of his career. Um, sexual abuse perpetuated and harassment perpetuated by John Lasseter during his time at Pixar. And the response to those allegations was a long period of internal review. Um, and even though they acknowledged that, yes, they were true, they still have agreed to keep paying him until the end of this year. But And so he isn't officially terminated until then. Whereas James Gunn, who's not... As far as we know, and I think we would know by now, responsible for any actual harassment during his time working at Disney or in his time in Hollywood, uh, was let go immediately, based on stuff that he apologized for years ago. I think it shows a massive um, misplacement of, you know, a moral center. I don't know. It it's it's of hypocrisy to me.
1: So that is the recent James Gunn controversy. I'm sure we have not heard the end of it or um so some events that may or may occur into the future in Hollywood and the corporate world and else. Um next up, uh, we're gonna be talking about the equalizers too soon, but first we're gonna talk about something that's very exciting that's happening. We're going down to Melbourne for the Melbourne International Film Festival, and each year they hold the Critics Campus, which um, Debbie is a member or participant of the Seattle Street Term and you're going to, one of the critics in-house and you're going to tell us all about it because we're excited to see it and see what you're going to do and come up with.
2: First of all, congratulations. Yes. Oh, thanks. Well done. Yay, famous people in the studio. (laughs) Not at
3: all. Um, Yeah, no, I'm really excited. Uh, It's a one-week intensive um, thing um, and we are paired with a mentor. So my mentor is pretty sure I can reveal it. Um, is Jessica Tian from the playlist and oh, So yeah. So she's oh, wonderful. Been, yeah. She's been a favorite critic of mine for a couple of years. So it'd be very exciting to, to finally meet her and to get some advice from her. But, um, the other critics, so there's seven others, um, and some other fantastic mentors who are around the country and one's from New York as well um, and it will be uh, you know we'll be producing you know some features interviews reviews hopefully across the week and um, yeah I guess I'm not so sure exactly what's in store but I will be able to report back <laughs> Yeah,
2: I, I think Luke, Luke is organising it yes year, Luke, he he? Is. Yeah, Luke he's great it's fantastic and Connor Bateman good old mate Content Bateman is mentor this year for the Critics Campus um Excited to pick his brains from his mentoring skills and hopefully he can be nice and curly hair and his uh, incredible beard. Anyway, that's
1: wow, wow. That's um, shout of- out to my neighbor Connor, hey. Um and yeah, so we're looking forward to Critics Canvas, so that is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. So next up we are discussing the Equalizer Two. I caught the original on TV for roommate a little while ago. I was a little underwhelmed. I haven't seen Equalizer Two yet, but for and Chris have both seen the starring Denzel Washington. What did we think?
2: It's trying to be so many movies at once and I think I had issues with that. It's trying to be this kind of, you know, Logan, essentially, and I think that's been a... Every movie is trying to be Logan. Yeah, you know, this template of trying to mentor this young uh, kid with a father figure kind of thing, and it's trying to be this kind of, you know, assassin John Wick style movie as well, which is with his watch and trying to time his kills, which is pretty cool. Denzel being 60, it's also trying to be a taken kind of movie. It's trying to be so many movies at once, except it and it doesn't do any movie justice I, in its patterns.
0: I thought this was actually much better than the original, though still not that good, because the original I, I was fairly disgusted by because I think it was indulging in wish-fulfillment violence, the fantasy that like you could be this powerful person who gets to kill people whenever they piss him off. And in this, the second movie, by comparison, is not just a parade of nasty, semi-pornographic violence. The second film is is much slower paced, probably has less than half as much action as the original. Um, It actually has characters in it. I appreciated the long build up of the revenge narrative before we finally get to see Denzel doing his indestructible killing machine bit at the end. Um, I thought there were some nice uh, flourishes in terms of the direction in this movie. Anton Foucault has some style. I can't say that I genuinely cared about any of the characters but um yeah i I appreciated some of the set pieces. There's a bit involving a two way mirror in this that is really suspenseful and an original idea for this kind of film.
2: that was really clever, and also, I like how the movie's trying to make some points about black identity and and you know racial politics, especially with the books it talks about it talks about Between the World and me by Tony C. Coates, which is a very sort of you know I think our seminal narrative of the 21st century in terms of racial identity and U.S. politics and that kind of book. So I I was glad how it brought in literature to talk about uh, black identity. And I think in that sense, it was really interesting, rather than giving Denzel-level speeches, which he Mm. often gets to give in these kind of movies. So it was restrained Denzel, which I did appreciate.
0: In the first movie, Denzel was basically, as I alluded to before, invulnerable. And it's just to further the fantasy of, like, yeah, just, like, kill those guys. In this movie, um, as I said before, it's much more of a plot with stakes. So um, the fact that when it does come down to Denzel in a violent situation, um, he is just such a force of nature does, I think, detract from the possible tension that could have been there. In order to mine the most tension, they need to take Denzel out of the scenario you know, they they create tension out of Denzel's on the phone and he can't save these people. And that does detract from this as a engaging revenge story. The best action heroes, I think, you identify with them because you see their struggle and it's about how are they going to get past that when they have all these flaws and limitations as well as being really, really talented in one area. Denzel can just take out as many people as there are, no matter how talented they are. He's just, he's basically a superhero, you know, it's the Punisher. <laughs>
2: And, and that's okay. And and I, and I did appreciate this movie was, in some sense, with a subplot, going to try and build up a more interesting, nuanced political narrative about, uh, you know, black communities trying to escape their cyclical violence enforced by their own people on them. And how do you Who escape it Who better that? to take them out than yeah. Denzel the Killing Machine. Exactly. So, you know, how do you <laughs> deal with that and try to give a nuanced response to it, except it didn't do that in the no, end, it so didn't. Been, you know, but but there were seats were sown, and I was like, Oh my god, talking about Tennessee Coates, uh, honestly, the world and me. so like there were there was beats that I was in, like, Oh my god, it in could terms have been
0: interesting. of its focus on characters and the slowness of its pace, it's way more like an adult film than most of the action movies we get yeah, these days, not, and much not, more mature than the original.
2: It's not your bro, kind of fast and furious, and you know, summer action popcorn flick, in that way, it's more. It's slightly. better. It's all right, you yeah, know. It's, it's, it's like
0: it's 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 such a. You're gonna watch this at 11:30 p.m. one night That's what like, I watched yeah, the I'm original." Right. That's exactly what I watch. <laughs> yeah, the original. it's, it's oh exactly that. See like, it on TV and like it'll do the yeah. job. So we, we have okay. two.
1: So there was the second of two extremely unnuanced films this week. <laughs> 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 I recommend
0: mommy of the Two, which I didn't. I, 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 I well, I preferred Equalizer Two, but it's not that much better, you know. <laughs>
2: I would recommend you wait a week to watch Mission Impossible and just skip everything. Well, we ha- crazy we haven't Rich seen Asians. Oh, oh, yes, and yes. wait <laughs> another
3: month for Crazy Rich Asians. It'll be worth it.
1: <laughs> yes, there's a clashing preview screenings tomorrow night. I made the decision that the first Mission Impossible was the first action film I ever saw.
3: Crazy Rich Asians just the week after. Oh,
1: week. Oh, it's the week. Oh. Wait. Oh, I can see both. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was in Maldives last night and the trailer for this came on. Yeah. And- oh, wow. This looks hilarious. They go to Singapore and. Wait, what is Crazy Rich Asians about, I wonder? It seems pretty straightforward.
2: It, Virat
0: might have some words.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no! No! That was all <laughs> air, Chris. Was that was was all yeah. Air. Yeah, this is a
0: callback to an in joke about <laughs> <laughs> Virat's accidental racism. No,
2: it's, <laughs> no. it's, it's not accidental, it's quite clearly. Misinformed, but uh, the point is no. Just it, it was it
0: was actually none of that. <laughs> Virat misspoke himself earlier, and we well, gave him no amount of <laughs> shit for it. No, <laughs> yeah, no limit. All I'm trying to say is of trashing Virat. I
2: feel Indian people should be called Asians too. We've been trying to be like be part of the Asian clan for a long time so please Indian people are Asian too we are South Asians which is like a kind of Asian so
1: there was a great joke about this in Blockers actually yeah. remember oh. with John Cena yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to have dinner now with the race discrimination commissioner and see what he thinks about that this, this is actually true I am having dinner with the race discrimination commissioner
0: so on that note <way>.
1: Yes, exactly glad. Hope he's not listening to this.
0: Oh no! Hey Tim. Um, so yes, this has been what a <laughs> disastrously politically charged episode this has been. I know. Wow. Wow.
1: This is yeah. This has this has been managed to like offend everybody. <laughs> everybody. In the political of film club. Everybody. There's there's a few ethnic groups we haven't covered yet. We'll, 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 yeah. we'll, that's next week. Yeah. That's next week. Surely. So um.
0: So th- so well, I just I just hope none people. of us get a job at Disney in ten years. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Beware
1: white people. True that. Uh, all right. So. <laughs> um, De- Debbie, oh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been right. an interesting so episode, <laughs> and um, we'll surely have you on again. Come Myth in a couple of weeks. Yes, yeah,
3: Kane would be. Uh, Kane.
2: It's be Yeah, fun. we'll we'll see you there, and uh, yeah, I'll see you at at the. Uh, it's not the it's not the hub. Whatever the mythic The Melbourne uh, version. The yeah. forum. Yeah, yeah, the, the it's forum. Pr- it's yes. pretty nice. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, cool. they're they're f- hub. Yeah, so they, they they're they're a hub. Yeah. So
0: you see true. what all the hubbub is about. Yeah, the hubbub. <laughs> <Fantastic.
1: Nommie. laughs> so this has been Glenn Falcone, Debbie Zhao, Chris Evans of R- Rutney Root. That's just for Disney. So future reference, and um... yeah, put these people on the blacklist. <laughs> <laughs> and we... don't even bother. <laughs> 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 and, and we will see you next week talking about Mission Impossible and a later date, Crazy Rich Asians. Oh my god, I'm I'm excited for yes. this. It's gonna be good. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night.
2: night. Be politically radical.